0: All right. Hello. Good morning, everybody. Happy Sunday to you. Welcome to Coffee Break. Uh, I am Spencer Campbell, a.k.a. Gila RPGs. Uh, Every week on Sunday, I sit down and I talk down. Or I talk down. I talk with.
1: (laughs) I talk uh, at.
0: I talk at. I shout (laughs) at. uh, I punch down on all of my indie friends uh, in the indie RPG design (laughs) space. Um, Anyway... Today, I'm not going to do a lot of talking down. Today, I'm going to be pumping up because I'm very excited. Raph is here. Um, uh, Raph is here to talk to us about the zone. Uh, We were talking about psychology. We're going to talk about Elden Ring, probably. So uh, let me stop talking and let Raph introduce himself. Go ahead, Raph.
1: Yeah, I'm Raph. So um,
0: I'm a a designer. Uh,
1: I design software by day and uh, the whole UX design thing, and, uh, and I'll, I'll also make TTRPGs and games. Um, and uh, The Zone, The Zone is the game, has been the game I've been working on for the last few years uh, that um, is a kind of surreal, play-to-lose horror experience in the vein of Annihilation and Stalker um, that's been digital for the last year because we've all been digital and now is about to be physical because some of us are able to be physical again. I don't know. (laughs) Not all of us. Um, But um, it's going to be cool to have it experienceable around a table and also around a virtual table.
0: I'm super excited about the zone in general. I, I, I I remember seeing stuff about it, you know, when it, when it was kind of first being talked about a, a little while ago and I, first kind of experience zone in play when i listened to the party of one uh episode with Jeff jeff stormer's podcast oh. party of one where you two played it together and that episode was so good it was so good
1: i'll say i'll say that's that's probably like 10 percent the zone and 90 percent jeff but i'll take a little bit of credit jeff yeah it's just amazing. amazing just amazing <laughs> uh the funny thing about that episode too is that the 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 zone is typically like a two or three hour experience um it's designed to work it's it's your emergence organic so it can work with two people i mean you could play it as a solo game and play with six people more than that it gets a little bit messy but usually it's like a two or three hour experience except one time where i had to speed run it for some people because they only had an hour and that was yeah uh we used every exploit available (laughs) but I was awestruck when Jeff was like, yeah, we can probably do this in like an hour, 20 minutes. I was like, wow, yeah, you have superpowers because that's exactly what happened. Jeff kept us moving.
0: Jeff is a wizard in terms of putting together uh, like really tight, amazing experience, hour, hour and a half in that window. And it just makes the game shine no matter what game it is. So that's when I first like heard and um kind of experienced the zone by listening to YouTube play it and go went okay yeah i'm 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 in on this i'm I'm very excited to learn more about it so for for folks who aren't familiar with what the zone is what's sort of the the elevator pitch I know you mentioned a little bit earlier it's yeah. like the play to lose thing but what's the what's the pitch
1: yeah so here, here's the pitch um and um, I've seen you do this with a few other guests. I, I put together a few, few visuals. We want to go through them later on. But um, the, the, the basic pitch is that uh, you are a group of broken people who've come together. Um, every table can kind of decide how that happened, by the way. To be the uh, 13th, or 14th, or 15th? Or does that numbering even work? You know, How many expeditions were there really before you? into the zone, which is a mysterious place that is really, again, emergent for every table. You kind of figure it out as you go. Um, And there's a few things that are very true for every game that have to be. One of them is only one of you will make it to the center. I'm not saying one of you will survive. I'm saying one of you will make it to the center. (laughs) What happens at the center is determined by the other players. the second thing is it's it's very, it's an experience of escalation. You go in at first, it's kind of funny games. It sounds kind of weird. There's little mutations happening, and you're encountering some some weird stuff. Um, but very quickly, it escalates into being a literal physical representation of your phobias and your obsessions, uh, which are the only two things on your character sheet. Um, and <laughs> and 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 every time you need to do something difficult. Um, you mutate you change and you become basically more and more those phobias and obsessions until you're fated becoming one with the zone and and that is something that's determined at the beginning right at the beginning of the game you've got a spiral of cards that that show all the locations and there's some cards that have fake cards on them and when you hit that fake card if it's got your name on it you're done um and uh and it just gives so much freedom for storytelling. I, I'm just completely in love with play to lose games uh, b- because of that. Like you're you, even if you try to min max it, the fact that your your fate is determined means that uh, you can do stuff that normally in in games you'd have to be a little bit conservative about. And nor- normally in games you'd be like, eh, I don't know if my character should you right. know turn into a, a like mushroom infested wretch ten minutes into the game, but in the zone you know you're not going to die until i don't know an hour and a half later so you can go pretty wild and the game systems will support you in just escalating much past where you normally would
0: i i i love the idea of play to lose games or those games where it it push, pushes back against that idea of of min maxing or like ideal play or anything like that so that it is just like if you want to become a weird little fucked up mushroom man, like you said, it can happen <laughs> and it will happen. And when it happens, you lean into it. Like that's a, that's a moment to embrace rather than a moment to shy away from. Um,
1: yeah. 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 And, and a huge inspiration for me there was, I mean, this game wouldn't exist without annihilation. You know, I, back in 2018, when I started working on it, I, I, I'd gone to see Annihilation and it just like grabbed me in this yeah. way that I, I couldn't quite explain. You know, you know, I feel like you, you probably get this because I, I feel like something we have in common is that we make these games that are inspired by things that just kind of like- Consume got their, us. They're claws <laughs> into us. And I saw it, I walked out of the theater and I went back and I saw it again, like a couple of days mm. later. And I saw it a third time. And I was like, why, am, why do I, What what is it about this film? And it's actually taken me, basically the last like four years work on it even unpack what what it was and it is it is that you know we all have these things within us like these Mm. fears these obsessions they're kind of two sides of the same coin and in that film um and obviously you know the book as well and there's like so much other media that has this it just it just shows what happens when you enter an environment that goes you know that internal life that thing that's kind of like Hidden inside of you that you've been suppressing. <laughs> I'm just gonna make the entire world that, right? <laughs> um, and it brings characters like face to face with themselves in this like, incredible way. And when you when you mutation and body horror just kind of physicalizes that in a again like a very very interesting way. Um, so it's kind of a weirdly cathartic experience. Yeah,
2: for sure. Um,
1: yeah. It's um, whatever. Go ahead. What I was gonna say? It ends up being like a fast, like whatever character you bring into it ends up being the seed. And so uh, mm. I have a friend who who uh, she she came up with like the most amazing way to bring her regular D and D game into it. Oh. So they 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 went into the Feywild and they got kind of transported into the modern day zone, and, and then we're all the horrible things happened to them. But it was really interesting. It's just like an established group, an established party of D&D characters having essentially the the Stargate episode, where you get like transported into a parallel universe and yeah. you know watch the version of you that just gets like torn to shreds. <laughs> it's really interesting. That's
0: super cool. I'm, you know, I I am like still I like I didn't play role playing games when I was a kid or anything. So I've only really started learning about role playing games in the last. I don't know, maybe like 10 years or so is when I started first learning about them. So I don't have like the, the story past about it. So like the concept of play to to lose felt so novel to me uh, when I first heard about it. Cause you know, like you said, I make things that are based off of the things that I'm inspired by or that I love. And that typically ends up being like video games. And a lot of the video games I play are not play to lose. It's about like being very cool and powerful. Um, There are, of course, games where you are going to get your ass kicked again and again. Elden Ring, which we share an affinity for, Um, but like in terms of uh, role-playing games that are play to lose, like I know of, like Trophy Dark is another good example of like a a play to lose game. Are there others that are like that you particularly like? That sure, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And and by the way, I've I come to come to the same ways as as you. Um, I only about the same amount of time Mm. actually i only really got deeply into this like four or five years ago i'd made a couple of games like role-playing games a little bit before but i got into it had a bit of a lull and then like four years ago really yeah really heavily gotten into it um and and it's interesting because i got into it in a slightly oblique way so for me it was improv that pulled me into this world so you're in chicago right yeah and so I I went to design school in Chicago and and uh you know went to a the Second City class yeah. and then next thing I knew I was just going to classes like six days a week, you know, just absolutely obsessed with it. Heck yeah, and awesome. and so 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 then when I got into role playing games, the first proper role playing experience I had was actually um when i moved to the bay area mm. i did this you know like everyone is like okay you know a bay area thing go to burning man mm. um i guess you know <laughs> fine i <laughs> guess <laughs> i should do this when in rome and um and someone had told me uh that there's like this cool kind of almost like a open world rpg thing you can do which is like go deliver the mail oh okay so people can, like send mail to burning man you can just go like. Pick it up and deliver it everywhere and um so that sounds kind of fun and basically it forces you to go all around and explore
2: mm.
1: and so i end up delivering like a couple couple of letters and the third one i get to this camp and there's a, a meeting happening and um and at the end of the meeting this guy gets up and he's like hey you know does anyone want to play a role-playing game I'm like okay they can uh, come on friday at noon to, to my air-conditioned trailer and i'm like sweating ah. and just beaten down. I was <laughs> like, that sounds kind of nice so i went out to him afterwards i was like hey i'm not in your camp but would it be cool if i came uh and uh, enjoying this game he was like can you be here at noon on friday which is like three days from now in a place where time basically doesn't exist i was like <laughs> yes so three days later i'm in this air-conditioned trailer and he pulls out archipelago mm. which is it's not exactly play to lose but it does feel like it's from just like a different it, it, a, a lot of the the zone owes its existence like yes and cards like some of the structure like comes from archipelago it's like a different like genetic lineage of rpgs yeah from my perspective um because at the beginning it's like a heroic fantasy kind of tale where everyone has a fate at the beginning um you just have your fate card uh, and I can't remember exactly what they would say, but they'd have fates like you know, you, you know, fight the you fight your fears and become yeah. the ruler, or some something tragic, and you know that's where you're going to end up. Um, and so you're not really playing to lose, but you are playing to kind of escalate and get there. Yeah. And every scene you do, you are you you know that that's going to be your fate. So if you say you know, and yeah, my character has his legs cut off in a, you know, a mining accident. Then you know that's still gonna work out in interesting ways. Right. Um, and so the game like encourages this kind of very strong like seesawing of the story. Uh, it's very kind of Princess Bride almost. <laughs> yeah. And then I, there's other play to lose games like Lovecraft-esque is kind of play to lose. Mm. That's, you know, you got this kind of escalating at the end of every turn, Everyone just tries to figure out. There's this thing called jumping to conclusions, where everyone gives their theory for what the like Lovecraftian nightmare is that we're all in, um, and it goes very poorly for everyone. <laughs> um, but I will say, like my biggest inspiration is actually not RPGs; it was LARPs. Oh, a lot okay. of a lot of my entry into the space was from um, again a huge credit to like the entire works of Jason Morningstar, like mm-hmm. every LARP he's done um not just terms sort of the style but like the way he does instructional design is massive inspiration to me and so he has a bunch of these larps that are just like um the first larp that i played was called uh uh what was it called um welcome guests okay and it's a dinner party larp where you're just you and your friend just were traveling and you're traveling with this other friend and had a fight and they kind of just like left you and they took the car and so you're just kind of stuck mm-hmm. and uh the game takes place wherever you actually are playing so you're stuck you're just like wandering around you don't have a place to sleep and while you're at the mall or the market or something this family saw that you're kind of out of sorts and they approached you and they're like oh hey you know the startup up a conversation you're like, oh, yeah we're kind of stuck and They're like oh why don't you come over you know come over for dinner if you need a place to stay you know come over and then figure it out tomorrow and you go for dinner and uh, it turns out the family are cannibals.
0: <laughs> i was waiting for it.
1: <laughs> and it's a game for six players, and uh, you've got like the two guests. You've got so everyone has very specific roles. You've got like the the the, the old dad, you know, the old man. Mm. It's kind of a more traditional cannibal, and you've got the you know the, traditional the next cannibal. generation. <laughs> He's got strong cannibal values and you got the next generation and then you got like the two kids and then there's the daughter and the daughter has to like marry someone into the family. And so as a family, you you, it's, you just play very organically, almost mm. like you're improvising. You're constantly just like going to the kitchen and being like, so do we think he might be a good fit for the daughter? Do we eat him or do we do we try and induct him into the family or do we, you know, prepare him for, you know, Thanksgiving? <laughs> And so by the end of the game, like, usually one or both people have been eaten. Uh, and it's just it's just delightful because it's just, it's absolutely play to lose. There's no way you can min-max that. Right. Unless
0: that you're trying to min-max, awesome. like, the amount
1: of human you want to eat.
0: That sounds like so much fun. That
1: It really is. I, massive plug to that game.
0: I would love to try doing something like that. It's funny that you mentioned, like, the your origins being in, like, in improv or improv being a thing that helps get get help got you into um, role playing because it's similar for me not because I did improv but because my my brother is a comedian in Chicago um, mm. so he performs at Second City um, and he you know he went through the classes and he had a number of friends who were in classes and they were some of my first people that I played role playing games with um, uh, yeah and I was I was the GM and I have a table full of the sharpest best trained improv comedians at the table and it's amazing to play with a group like that um, because no matter what you think or expect none of that will ever happen um and it became extremely like foundational in terms of my approach of like yeah I just don't prep anymore and I don't think we need to really worry about prep or anything because I trust the table and maybe I was you know I was certainly lucky to have that type of table there to to train me in that sort of thing. But yeah, improv had a huge impact on me getting interested in the scene and me getting interested in how I design things because of my brother and his second city friends who are just like unbelievably sharp and fun to play with. Oh man,
1: we could talk about this for hours. I, um, (laughs) I'm kind of curious. So I, I think there's this really interesting thing about, um, Improv really puts a lot of responsibility on people to have good, good play, good, good social norms, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. And is obviously the one that everyone knows, but you know, you really get drilled on these yes. And and these deeper things, like, well, you're listening and you right. have to constantly be listening and you're going to build on the other person's work. You're both, you know, you're collaborating on this world. So. I think what's really interesting about it is like, I was never the best improviser. I was nowhere near as sharp as some of the others. Um, There's just, it's just an amazing skill. But even if you're not super sharp, just the fact that you enter this super psychologically safe Mm. place where everyone, where you know that everyone is gonna listen to you and build on what you've got, um, it, it means that you don't have to come up with anything like particularly amazing. And you, every single person can come up with something that's like, eh. But then it would add up to something incredible because it's just like building block by building block. Right. I lo- I love it when a game just supports that kind of that kind of play. I'm kind of curious how how you mentioned it has influenced how you design your games. Like, what are some of the things that um that that you've you've picked up that some design elements that yeah. come from that.
0: A lot of it is for me um, in. You know, I play games or I I design games that I think people, there are like traditional ways of playing. So a lot of my games end up involving things like combat and stuff like that. And so there are like preconceived notions about combat being a balanced sort of thing and very structured. And for me, I throw a lot of that stuff away because I just, um, once you put too many structures on something... It either has to be like really well done, like sketch comedy that is structured but is very well done, or you have to release mm-hmm. the structure and let the improv happen and let the weirdness and like sometimes the awkwardness, but like those magic moments build up. The other big thing for me is I this is how I I just GM now and I encourage it in it's it's starting to make its way into some of my designs is the idea of like virtually no prep for GM or minimal prep and facilitating the the session via questions. So asking and listening to the answers of those questions to feed the session and what it's going to be. It's why I like things like bonds so much. Like I talk about bonds as like my favorite bit of RPG tech, because you are feeding yes. the GM. Here's a, a small thing that I want to see happen. And like, so any tech that's involved where we are layering things on top of each other to build a wider thing is amazing. There was um, there was a group, they're not around anymore because the I.O. theater is gone now. Um, oh, but I miss it. I know, but Improvise Shakespeare was a group that performed there. And Wait, they-
1: Improvise Shakespeare is gone?
0: Well, the I O theater is gone where they performed, uh, but I know that that I mean that troupe also performed at other uh, places around the country. So I haven't checked to see if they're still doing stuff. But you know,
1: Spencer, I, I used to go see them every fr- every Friday. I go see both of their shows. Amazing. Like, uh, one show right? stay for the second show. Amazing. And they come once once a year. They come for Sketchfest in San Francisco, and I'd be like, "All right, everyone, this is nothing else is as important
0: as going to see. They are maybe the best thing ever." It's I mean, and it's incredible because we're talking about story building uh, via improv and they have managed to capture the, the tone, the vibe, the feel of crafting a Shakespearean play in the moment, improvised, all comedic. And just like the, the layering that they do of like each of them is ends up playing like three, four different characters and somehow they manage to. Usually at the end, it's a mad dash to tie up all the plot lines. and becomes very funny. But it's just like, wow, that is like peak storytelling as a group. Like uh, it's it's in, an incredible experience. And yeah, anybody who's ever gone and seen it has, has walked away going, ah, that is the best. That is the best comedy you can see. Um. So it's watching marvelous. stuff like that, watching my brother do improv, playing with uh, improvisers and seeing, like, if we're listening to each other, if we are doing these small bits, right? So it's not... And nobody has the spotlight for very long. It's about moving that spotlight around. It's about adding and layering things together. That's the stuff that's interesting. I me. Mean, that's It informs a bit of my design, but it definitely informs how I run sessions, uh, just because that has been so satisfying to play in that space
1: that's beautiful
0: improv has a concept of gifts and um
1: where where you you when you're saying something or starting a song or introducing a scene where you're you're doing it with the mentality of giving a gift to the other person yeah and improv shakespeare is actually a really interesting one to, to think about because they work unbelievably hard to do what they're doing like they will spend they will drill um for example like they might spend a whole week just being like all right we're just gonna go and we're gonna learn every piece of like 16th century clothing that existed back then we're gonna drill it we're gonna understand like exactly how it was worn and the fashion then you go see them on friday and you know i vividly remember this because it had been such a, a detailed performance, but their whole show was about one particular style of codpiece, uh, okay. um, which, uh, which they you, you, they went to like the nth degree on because they knew that everyone else also knew that, and so they could take the show into these places because they were like, okay, cool, like I, I know that that this person I'm talking to has the same body of knowledge that I have. Right. Yeah. Um,
0: My brother got to perform for them for a little bit. And uh, so I got to hear like the behind the scenes stuff and just like the amount wow. of, har- exactly what like you said, the amount of work that goes yeah. into prepping for it. And like the, you know, there's an intermission halfway through and they, they come together and they're like, okay, we need to review the plot points. We need to remember who is, who is because this is an hour and a <laughs> half long story, essentially that we're yes. crafting and we're all playing three or four characters. Who are you again, and what 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 does your character want? And you know they have to do that as fast as they can in the intermission and get right back to it. It's it's awesome. I love I I it's it's been like I said very inspirational for me in terms of how I design things. So it's it's just cool seeing another person who has also seen that or or like had that experience be a part of their role playing lineage or origin story.
1: I mean, it shaped everything I do. I think. I want to draw a connection here, too, because I actually think uh, some something that I think something we I'm going to tell me if you think this is true, but I think there's something we have in common, um, which is you're trying to simulate to kind of recreate these 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 experiences from games like Destiny and uh, and now and we have to talk about Elden Ring. But as you mentioned, like. Uh, yeah i have the lumen srd like half open all the time it's a huge inspiration for me in terms like instructional design and and the principles inside of it around look don't worry about balance just keep it fast keep it simple it reminds me of um slay the spy or Mm. any roguelike or spelunky where it's just like look you know what every single game you're going to play is going to be horribly out of balance that's going to lead you to either just like utter destruction in five minutes or you're going to end up with these like compounding loops that create this epic story and um even though it's simulating something different the zone and honestly the stuff that's based on like the, the the direct inspiration for the zone is a game called love in the time of safe mm. uh which is a collaboration between jason morningstar and the the creator of archipelago Matthias Holter. i'm saying his name right but Holzer. And it's a Viking blood opera, where you have like five characters at the beginning. You've got like the Saith, who's a type of Viking witch. You've got the old king, who used to be very strong and uh, you know the kind of Godric kind of character. Mm. Um, but now he's still he's still got the frame, but he's now frail and he's going to die soon. And his daughter, who's gonna marry the kind of grand vizier of the neighboring kingdom. And the grand vizier obviously has nefarious purposes and she just love him. And then there's the knight who's supposed to protect her. Uh, and uh, he has an unrequited love for her and he's also a werewolf uh, and only the safe can help her and the safe is teaching the the, the daughter uh, witchcraft um, and, uh, and so she's kind of like a mentor figure while also kind of advising the king but perhaps mm. in slightly nefarious ways so everyone has these like very very strong bonds that are designed explicitly to create a just machine of death, right? <laughs> um, and and uh, and there's a specific tech in in Archipelago and in Love in. There's a series of games in that kind of series, and then the Zone, uh, which I want more games to steal. Which is the yes and uh, and kind of no but cards.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Which instead of rolling a die when you're trying to do something, you pull one of these cards, and the results are you know. Horrifying! Uh, it, it, it's it's you might pull a card that's like yes, and you know you you experience a horrible mutation that you can't hide from the group, or like no, but something really good happens from the other players. Mm-hmm. So it's completely out of balance. It's not trying to simulate anything. There's no like plus one modifier, minus one modifier. There's no advantage. There's no nothing. You pull the same deck. Everything you do. There's no levels of difficulty. The only guidance is like, if it's something that is not so trivial that you could just say that you succeed. And so in a similar way, like you end up with this completely unbalanced mm-hmm. thing that happens. But in my experience, it never actually matters in a one shot, to be fair. Like, so I feel like there's this whole set of games that are really like, want to create a, a sustainable progression. We don't want it to get too out of balance because... Uh, you're going to play for 200 hours. And so mm. if your characters have something crazy happen to them in hour one, it's not going to work. You know, a lot of respect to, like, the Behemoths, D&D and Pathfinder, all that for that kind of depth. Um, but I think when you get into the indie space, and I think it's same with video games, like the, the Spelunkies of this world, mm. Rogue Legacy, and, like, Noida and all these games, they can afford to just do, like, basically, like, insane stuff because it doesn't matter. It's a roguelike. You're right. you gonna play for 20 minutes, you'll die, you'll come back. I feel like Elden Ring kind of manages to do that too in an interesting way where because again like the, the loop is death. Right <laughs> they can just have a bunch of stuff in there that is just horribly unbalanced and just it just doesn't matter.
0: Right. You'll you'll figure it out when you figure it out sort of thing. God I played so yeah. much rogue legacy. I love I love, I love that rogue game legacy so much. that, that game I I sat in front of that and just played it non-stop once I got my hands on it. It's, it, that's good. Oh part. yeah. Yeah. All, all Any
1: game. Completely. I mean, during the pandemic, I put 600 hours into Spelunky 2. I just, <laughs> it just shit. stuck to me. And I was like, I must get to the cosmic ocean. <laughs> I have not gotten Did to the get end get of the there? cosmic uh, ocean. No, I, I got there. I got there. Uh, I, I just haven't gotten to <laughs> level ninety-seven oh of the cosmic ocean.
0: God, level nine I've never I only played Spelunky one and I was not very good at it, so I didn't get very far. So I have no concept Same. of what the cons the cosmic ocean is, but it sounds sounds intense. Sounds like I want to be there, but I uh knowing that there's 97 <laughs> levels to it is yeah. pretty intense.
1: Keep in mind that there's only like 25 levels to get to the cosmic ocean, and then it's like, all right, here's like 90 more. Just go have fun
0: it's yeah let's just make another connection to elden ring it's where you think you've seen most of the map and then you end up in a whole new space and you're like (laughs) wait a minute what this just added like 20 more hours to my playthrough uh i can't
1: get over how good that game was
0: it's so good it's so good i can't stop playing and i can't stop thinking about it uh yeah it consumes me i'm i'm right there with you no i'm right there with you I wanna I wanna talk about the the zone uh, Kickstarter that you have coming up because the zone was um, the, one of the coolest things about it when you released it is that you you shifted to like this digital version right because like I yes. think your original yeah. intent was to release like a physical thing and then pandemic happened and you did this really cool shift in terms of making it this digital this wholly wholly online version of the game so. Um can you tell me a little bit about like what that process was like cuz I'm I'm so curious yeah, about like early. shifting something that you imagine as a physical space thing and then going into like actually
1: it's all <laughs> digital <laughs>
0: like, what was that like
1: Yeah um it was um it was interesting it was um interesting is it? it When um let me let me show something actually i want sure. to show a visual while i talk because i think it's kind of interesting to show that that process a little bit sure um just kind of fun so i put together i put together just a, a just a kind of a few visuals that show let, that journey a little bit yeah and like a that. uh just a, a little misspelled principle here around the game
0: <laughs> let me get this up on the the stream there for you. Yeah, okay. So I think
1: it gives a really good sense of kind of <laughs> what that transition meant.
0: So um, let me know when. Yeah, it's it's up on the, yeah. sorry, it's on the screen now.
1: Sweet. So so yeah, I actually, so this thing in, uh, in kind of my design profession that I applied to the zone very early on, which was just coming up with design principles So like super early in the game, I had decided that there were going to be these things that I was going to go for. So I knew that I wanted to create this like annihilation style experience, a stalker style experience. Mm. But it was really interesting to think, like, how do I want to do this? Because there's so many ways you can make a game. Um, And there are three principles that I realized I really cared about very early on. The first one was just this idea of atmosphere. Yeah. So you know that feeling, I, I, I saw Dead Poets Society for the first time on Friday, and then I cried all of yesterday. Um, <laughs> but that feeling of just like, you're in this cave, or you're like around the campfire, mm. kind of atmospheric with your friends, like nobody can hear you, you be like as loud and weird as you want. Uh, huge inspiration here, I will say, is also um, just the, 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 the beautiful play with lighting of uh, classic Classic horror film, uh, Pitch Black. I absolutely love that movie so much. Definitely one of Vin Diesel's best works. <laughs> just incredible. The way that movie plays with light, incredible. And then there was a second principle, which was accessibility, which was just, I had gotten really used to in LARP, there's this thing, and this is what I say I was praising Jason Star's instructional design. Like uh, in a lot of these games, when you start playing, uh, you you have all the rules and you just read them together mm. so maybe the person who's running the game has like done a quick read through and obviously if there's anything to add to prep they would have printed some stuff out or whatever but like the dominant way that those the what they're called like, chamber larps so obviously there's like the huge larps like everyone goes to like a wizard school for three days and right. does weeks of prep but there's these chamber larps like welcome guests the one i was mentioning earlier where you've you've got the rules printed out and you just pass them around the table and you read them together and um and so you really can just kind of play it out of the box and i was like man what would it be like to have an rpg where you can just you could just start playing it you you, you right. get the box you open the box your friends are already there you know you got some pizza or whatever and you just start playing it and you don't have that phase of just you know, the, the crushing like two hours of listening to someone explain the rules to you the and then teach. you don't remember anything. Oh, it's so um,
0: painful, it's so hard sometimes doing it I have RPGs, I have this, board games, anything.
1: I have this book next to me at all times, just uh, around instructional design. Like I just I'm obsessed with this stuff. Yeah. As as a designer, because like as a designer, like in my day-to-day life, uh I I, I I'm constantly running up against the, the the concept of cognitive load, and it's just if someone if something I design exceeds some someone's cognitive load, they're just not going to do it. Right. And so the entire game is just trying to be underneath whatever the cognitive load of the table is without the without giving myself the uh, the the kind of benefit of oh I'm just going to ask the person to study this for two weeks before the session or three mm-hmm. hours for the session. Um, and then there was like this third principle, which was around emergence, which was just I I don't want there to be I d- I don't want anyone to feel like they can lead this thing. Like the other image I, I thought about putting here was a, a Ouija board.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That feeling of just wait, something weird is happening, and I don't know who's in control, mm. and you know this is interesting. So no one in the you know. When I start when I learn you a programming language, the first thing I always do is I code the the Boyd's algorithm, which makes little birds flock. Cause I'm that <laughs> kind of nerd. Uh, and uh, so I'm obsessed with this concept, like this concept of just like, how do you have like something where small patterns lead to something bigger? Right. So all of this was just very much like right at the beginning of the game. Like I hadn't articulated them quite like this, but this is what I realized I was going for. And so just to give a taste of, this was the first play test mm. where uh, my buddy, Nick, Nick Punt, um, who's, uh, who's actually um, writing something for, for the game, which I'm really excited about. Uh, he had the absolutely brilliant idea of, it was like six o'clock when we were playing and he checked the sunset time and he was like, okay, let's get flashlights. And so as we play, And it gets darker we'll be forced to use the flashlights more and more and there was this whole there's this whole map making component in the first game that's literally just stolen from archipelago we like draw the map together it was uh it it was kind of cool it ended up just kind of not fit literally not fitting on the table uh so it kind of slowly fell off but like that sense of atmosphere was immediately i was like this is this is great Mm. this is really cool um and so I developed there the next few months and 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 this is like to answer your question very directly like the the thing that was tough was that that playtesting process was I I had a very specific way that I was running it I was wasn't just playtesting the game but I was obsessively playtesting the instructions of the game Mm. so it was all about that first 30 minutes I was like okay I'm gonna I have a script and I'm 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 going to play test like exactly how am I introducing the concepts of the game and then carefully looking like, okay, an hour later, if someone doesn't understand a concept, I, I would realize that would be because I'd ordered those two concepts and like, you know, one before the other in the introduction. And if I flip that order, then an hour later, someone might remember that concept, um, which was really interesting because it just makes you realize, for example, like the, the core one there was, do you teach the mechanics before character creation or right. afterwards? <laughs> if you teach it before character creation, people don't remember it mm-hmm. and it feels abstract, but they're more informed in how they create their characters. Right. But if you teach it after character creation, people are slightly more confused when they create their characters. But then when you are teaching the mechanics, they're like, okay, I'm imagining that happening to like, you know, it's my like, writer, yeah. my yeah. tortured writer. Oh, that makes sense. And they're more invested in it.
0: Truly, um, truly the hardest chicken and the egg scenario that still so hard. people talk about all the time. Which which one do you yeah. put first. There is no correct answer. Right.
1: <laughs> so I started experimenting with more ways of doing atmospheres like LED light strip. It mm. was I love this picture because it's kind of this it shows just the just how much you can transform this convention center room. This is Metatopia. Oh nice. This is Big Dad Con just a little bit of atmosphere transforms it but then i realized okay here's another constraint everything has to be legible in the dark mm. so literally every card needs to have big text big contrast um here's another one just uh, playing with candles which also works great uh shout out to ten candles that i hadn't played at this point. point ten candles says everything i'm doing better than i'm doing it go play ten candles <laughs> um but uh yeah, it's that, that kind of vibe again, like digital candles. And then um I found I think the true form of the game is played with glow sticks. Mm. I mean, it's it's wild when you do it that way. And that's where I also got this other ritual, um, where I realized okay, I've got I've got this like UX problem of I need people to read the rules and pass it around. But it's hard to read in the dark. Right. So, I came up with this ritual that you read the rules with the lights on, and then when you get to the end of the rules and you get to this, um, you know, you have this page in the rules that are like, um, just they're like this, it's like, hey, you know, take a bio break, enter the zone, and, um, and at that moment in the rules, you you finish them you take a second you turn the lights off you sit in the dark until it gets a little bit uncomfortable mm. and then you crack your glow sticks and so yes. everyone just like suddenly gets like slowly lit up it's super creepy and it's amazing
0: oh my god um, that's so cool oh. yeah that's
1: <laughs> just it, just the experience it creates is just really awesome so yeah that's how i got this is the, the like hero kickstarter image so, mm-hmm. like everything that i learned like coming into this and so then Man, it's like December 2019. I just produced a bunch of these playtest kits. I had five playtest kits. I've done it. I've done a bunch of playtesting in person. I sent some previous versions to some folks. I was like, okay, I'm going to send out the playtest kits. March 2020, I'll get the Kickstarter going. It'll mm-hmm. be great. I've never done a Kickstarter before, too. So um, I, uh, I'm also learning now just how much stuff there is to do. Oh, yeah. But anyway. <laughs> And then, obviously, we all know what happened. And, and I got to March, and I was like, "Man, I can't do this play testing. My whole motivation comes from play testing. Mm. If I can't play test, then I don't know how I can design if I can't play test. Like, I, 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 I my whole design process relies on being able to watch people play it and react to that. Mm. And um, and because I'm trying to you know, be a good UX designer, I guess, like I'm trying to make sure that it all works with every step. And so it, it, it kind of broke me a little bit. And I spent a few months just being like, man, I guess I'm just going to wait. How long could this pandemic possibly last? (laughs) Um, And, and around the summer, um, I was talking with my friend, um, Randy, Randy Lubin, who, Mm -hmm. you know obviously we're we're talking about this stuff a lot and um i just decided you know what like i need something to do um i i know enough javascript and like web tech like i don't know maybe i'll maybe i'll just i'll have a go i started just kind of working on some prototypes basically and it was really interesting gee i didn't let me see if I can find this one. It's actually kind of fun to talk about. so I can find it really quick, so don't spend too much time. Um, yeah, I could. I could show one of the one of the early prototypes if I can find it in time. But basically, the first thing that I did was I um, I just kind of made a table that replicated the game table. Mm. And, and the reason I was doing this, too, Spencer. This is actually pretty important. I I had done playtests in Tabletopia, okay. So I tried it, you know, on on um, in like a virtual table, and that had been pretty good. I would say, like it kind of it worked, but it had this fatal flaw, which was uh, which I then. Exactly replicated in um in the version that I built. like I literally exactly replicated that flaw in I <laughs> spent months, months replicating that specific behavior, which was the thing that I was trying to avoid and And the flaw is that the table and the cards, the first thing you would do when you build digital version is you go, all right I'm gonna make a thing where you can pick up cards and move them around and flip right. them and that kind of stuff. But that is exactly the part that y- will break the game. <laughs> so, in a very literal sense, cards are a way of of, of uh, bringing together a certain set of mechanics and like helping people to structure the game. But once the cards are on the table and in your hand, if someone just like grabs a card from the table and like moves it from like one corner to the other, you just broke the game, right? right? And so like the number one thing that virtual tabletops focus on is giving you all the tools that you need to break your game as you are playing it. To, to be able to <laughs> move everything in a free form way, put it everywhere. Right. Um, so I built this first version and I tried to play test it and everyone immediately broke the game. And I was like, man, I need to like take a step back. And I mapped out the internal structure of the game, which is, okay, you've got this, this spiral of locations mm-hmm. um you just quickly showed the, the structure so people can can kind of see you got the spiral of locations you're going to load in at some point here you go and you know you you move from location to location there you got your fates that are later in the game and then you get to the center you have scenes and you have the scenes are they kind of drive the game and then not so easy cards something hard happens so none of this should move Mm-hmm. They should all stay on the table <laughs> and it, it's actually the game itself should take care of that structure of keeping you moving in the right way of randomizing right. the cards of letting you draw them. So I rebuilt the whole thing and I could have ditched the whole cards, but then I decided that I wanted to have this constraint that eventually the physical version would come out and I would want someone to be able to just play the digital version and already know how to play the, right. d- the physical one. So it was really important to me that the, 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 the digital one would be kind of a tutorial for the physical one. Um, like you could get your iPad out at the beginning of the game. You could go through the intro of, you know, play.thezoneRPG.com. And then when you're done with that, you could be like, all right, everyone, you saw that, like, okay, now we got the cards on the table. We'll put the iPad away, put our digital devices away, and just kind of start playing. Mm. Um, but Unlike every other virtual tabletop, like none of the stuff from the tabletop can be moved. Right. <laughs> it just the game takes care of that. And then I was also back to that principle of accessibility. I was like, okay, well, the thing that virtual tabletops can do that nobody's doing because right now all the platforms are really designed to be just general purpose canvases,
0: right.
1: which makes sense. Um, is to have that same kind of tutorializing that Elden Ring doesn't have, but mm. that most games Try to do where they're like, they're kind of holding your hand, they're structuring the experience so that giving you the bite sized bit of information, they know exactly where you are. So they can be like, cool, you're here. I'm going to teach you this one concept. And we play tested the hell out of it. You know, hundreds of people have come through. We know that this is the right time to Mm -hmm. teach you this concept. And that takes the load off the facilitator to have to know that. Um, And so, all of that, man, like, I built a whole version of it that was basically didn't work mm. that took like three months um, and then I built <laughs> yeah but it was fun because obviously I was like trapped at home by myself right you know couldn't go anywhere so it was it was a good uh, it was a good distraction so then I threw that one away and around that time uh, Randy I was starting to build story so we're both learning Vue, which is a, a really probably if you know a little bit of JavaScript it's probably the easiest, um, kind of most intuitive way to make web apps basically. Mm. So we're learning it together. And, and so uh, he was a little bit ahead of me. And so he was like walking me through his code. And I was like, man, I could rebuild his zone in this. And so then we spent just kind of that whole fall, uh, winter, uh, just kind of locked at home, just building. what then I released in April. And it was a really cool exercise because there are certain things you can get out of a digital game that that are really neat. Like I can see um, kind of stats for like how many people are playing Mm. and Mm. I can see. um, For example, I can see like how long does a game actually take?
2: Right.
1: Which is really interesting because I I now have some data on that. So I can say, all right, Raph, like, yeah, you're telling people they could play this in two hours, but that's not true. But here's how you should do that if you want to. Right. Um,
0: I can see... The data nerd in me is so jealous. I want all that data. It's magical. It sounds so nice.
1: And here's the thing. Like, I think, you know, ethical data collection is really important. Like, I'm not collecting any of... I don't know who's playing. I don't know the people's names. Mm -hmm. I don't know any of that stuff. Um, I don't care about that stuff. Um, I just have, like, the anonymized, like, here's how the game went. And so uh, it, it's just really interesting to be able to see okay how many not so easy's do people use in the game mm. and like um what kind of wishes do people bring into this you can see like a little bit of the tone of the game by the and when you get to the center you you express a wish to the zone and they the zone might give it to you or might just tear you to shreds the other players decide they play the zone because they're all they they have become one with the zone mm. So you see like some tables where are just playing it like super, super straight, super serious. Some people are just like goofing off.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: and I really want both of those things to happen. So that's also kind of nice. Um, but the reason I wanted to show you some of this stuff early on, the playtesting, I I am, I'm really excited that the, 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 the digital version will always exist. Like mm-hmm. I think accessibility for me, it's all the kind of like cognitive accessibility and financial accessibility and that kind of stuff. Like it could always exist, always be free. Um, and, and and then the physical version, obviously, you know, it, it costs money to print cards. Mm. And so I want to create an experience that people can like pull out of the box. And now the bar is way higher for the the <laughs> tutorializing. Because in the game I was able to do that with such precision, whereas when in the in the when you uh, you know unbox it you'll do the same thing. You'll pay, take out the manual, you'll pass it around, you'll read it. It's not gonna be quite as precise as the digital version, but I, I think it'll be the same kind of thing. But it, obviously you get that atmosphere and you get mm. that sense of being like you're on the campfire together. It's been, yeah, it's been a heck of a journey. Like this thing has been in the works for like four years. Yeah. It just takes a long time to
0: do anything, basically. It's, it does. <laughs> but I'm I'm so excited about the... The physical version that's coming. So you you have kicked You too. You're launching the Kickstarter next month, right? Is that when the I am. Sweet. I am
1: tentatively in exactly one month from now, um, but I don't know how everyone else does it. But I've decided to just, you know, serenity prayer it. I'm like lean <laughs> you know on if I'm going to launch it when it's, when it's kind of together enough. Sure. There, it, most of the stuff is ready. I think there's just a little bit of art. I'm very. I want to show just one piece of art yeah. that I'm really excited about. So, um, the character creation is going to be a little bit different than it is in the game. And there's you're still going to have these booklets you can use if you want to do your own more kind of in-depth writing of your character and um, and but because I want the game to be truly zero prep. There's also gonna be these characters that are just on cards. Mm. And um, I've got this amazing artist, Eric Whalen. Holy shit. I mean, just, I love these pieces. And the reason they're like this, by the way, is because again, like I think, I I want anyone to be able to see themselves in the game. So I didn't want to, you know, put my finger on the scale too much and have Mm -hmm. them be specific characters. So this is a way of just also being like, hey, this could have been anyone, right. even you, before <laughs> blowing up. But the way you do character creation will be just right out of the box. There's a deck of these characters. There's just seven, um, each of this unique art, the seven archetypes. And then there's a deck of phobias and obsessions. Wow. Like, and what I realized, Spencer, I just got so excited when I realized this is they don't have to be separate things. They can just be flip sides of the same thing, right? So, yeah. you know, maybe your obsession is industry. The earth is yours. So do what you will. Maybe your phobia is industry, you know, when the mm-hmm. you could breathe the air and not choke. Um, and so character creation will be super streamlined where you just, like, pick a character, a phobia, and an obsession. And that's your character. You can go deeper. You can do whatever you want with it. But that's, again, that principle of accessibility. Yeah. Oh my um, god!
0: I I want this so badly. Now that I've seen these cards, I mean, I I was already excited about this, though, but looking at these cards and just being able to make something real fast with three cards like that, mm, yeah, it's so good.
1: That's really the principle, man. Like, I want the game to support you every step of the way. So even like all the location cards, you know, you pop the location, you've got three options. Um, it's I think it's a it's a little bit of a different vibe than than essentially like imagine like your big book of content has just been like torn apart and has just been spread out into a bunch of cards so that the game can just run itself um huge inspiration to games like you know anamnesis and uh Mm. you know for the queen and like all the games that are also everyone if you're listening go get spindle wheel oh yeah I'm so excited about spindle (laughs) like i love the idea of a game just really supporting you just card by card like Kind of like Yes ending The game's Yes ending with you instead of you having to like, come up with everything. Yeah. Yeah. Dang,
0: this yeah, stuff looks go. great. It looks so good. I can't wait for this Kickstarter. So it drops next month then.
1: Yeah, but you can you can go to kickstart.thezonerpg.com and follow it. The the, the sample
0: page is up.
1: Nice. Um, you, should, you should write that on the screen somewhere. I'll make sure it.
0: that those links are all over the place for all the stuff. that
1: Kickstart.thezonerpg.com.
0: Nice. Yeah, definitely go follow that right now because uh, I want this to have an explosive day one. I want to get this in my hands. Uh, it looks so good. It looks so, so good. And this feels like, um. so, I, you know, I teach a, a psych of Role Playing <laughs> Games class, like a workshop. So it's just a weekend long course, a single credit course. And... I like, it's so, it's so much fun. It's a blast to I teach. so want to audit that class. i just dying you, to.
1: What, have you ever thought about teaching that class to the community? Just I, doing like a. I've
0: thought about it. I've thought about doing like making a version of it that is like accessible to the whole community or that is taught with the community, you know, like in small groups or something. It would be fun to do. Um be, uh, you know, it's it's fun teaching it with students who have no concept of what an RPG is, too, because they're just like, OK, Nerd. this is weird. This this guy's asking me to be a wizard for four hours. What am I supposed to do with that? Um, but I you know, we we play GM games where there is the sort of like storytelling that happens. So like you mm-hmm. mentioned for the queen, mm-hmm. that's definitely in the rotation. But this would be so much fun for my students to play. I want to absolutely put this in front of my students. This is going into the the class rotation for sure when I get my hands on it.
1: <laughs> well, there. They, that like I said, I really want that class sounds amazing.
0: <laughs> One day I'll figure out how to do it where cuz like I could just like make a recording version of it or it's just like here's the here's the information if you want it but it is very much master class right but it is very much like an interactive class so i would have to do it in in sessions we'd be like all right who signed up for this you know this term of psych of rpgs from the community and then run it and teach it and then do it again for a different group of quote unquote students (laughs) uh it would be really fun to do. Oh, now you got that idea, like, locked in my brain. Maybe that's the thing I'll, like, tinker with over the summer is figuring out how to make that go beyond my classroom. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. Maybe. Raph, you've, you've put a, a dangerous little idea in my mind, but I think it'll be fun.
1: I, I would sign up. I would sign up day one.
0: <laughs> um. Well, the zone looks amazing. It sounds amazing. I can't wait to get my hands on it. Um, folks, definitely make sure that you are following the Kickstarter, or if you're watching this later in the future, the Kickstarter's up, make sure you're backing it, because it looks so freaking good. And I've heard it. You've, I've heard it played. I've seen it played. I know that this game rocks. Uh, so I can't wait to, to try oh, it. Oh, shucks. <laughs> um, well, Raph, we've hit like about an hour. Is there anything in particular that you wanted to talk about that we, we haven't covered yet?
1: Well, I think we we have another nine hours scheduled to talk about Elden Ring. Right, so. exactly. But other so, than that, right. you know
0: truly, if we go down the Elden Ring <laughs> hole, it we will not emerge for hours on end. And my it won't happen. my partner will be knocking on the door being like, What's going on in there? <laughs> Uh my dog will be like why have you forsaken me and abandoned me for this ring. Uh it's so good. It's so good.
1: It's so good. It's so good. What um, Okay,
0: before cuz I don't want to go down that hole because we will go into, it but real quick, what are you playing as right now? Like what are, what's your kind of build that you're working on right mm-hmm. now or have recently played? Cuz I I got to know.
1: So in uh I think just I won't lie, everyone, I, I apologize to you. The Zone probably would be a, on Kickstarter a month ago, but <laughs> Elden Ring came out a month ago. <laughs> so when I first played the game, I played, um, I, I really, I picked the starting class randomly. It was my first Souls game. Mm. I was just like, I'll just take the vanilla knight looking kind of character.
2: Right.
1: And um, I played the whole game, just dual wielding, curved greatswords. The uh, the bloodhound's finesse, you know, just nice. got me through the entire game, and then uh, I played through the game again <laughs> as a like a spell sword mm-hmm. with uh, a fancy staff and a lot of magic, and then this kind of dark moon great sword that has this wonderful power, where it'll just light up and then just send an arc of energy that kills enemies and quite far away from you. It's uh, so yeah, and and I would say. The first one was very much I just go berserk, run in, die a lot, right. Then I would just <laughs> su- summon my help, and then just the two of us would run in and go berserk. I my brother is a genius at this game and mm. is like fully playing it, just kind of very carefully, like learning all the patterns, parrying, the, mm. soloing everyone, and I'm just just button mashing my way <laughs> through it, and so. But yeah, that was a lot of fun. Then the second time around is just uh stand back and just shoot spells. And right. that's actually kind of cathartic as well. I like that the game gave me that. Yeah, I appreciated that. Is, it. That is
0: nice that you have that option. That's yeah, sweet. what about you? First time I played through, uh I I so I didn't play the Dark Souls games. Um because I didn't me neither. I didn't mm. like the slow moving like sword and board sort of thing, but I played Bloodborne, which I mm. love. I love Bloodborne, it's one of my favorite games. And Bloodborne is a fast game. It's you it encourages you to be aggressive because if you get hit, you go attack the enemy that hit you and you can recover some of the health that you lost. So it's about yes. keep going, like do not play slow. Fight, fight, fight. Um, so I wanted something that was like that. So I, you know, I started off with the sword and board just to get a sense of what the game was like. And then the second I learned about bleed builds, I was like, that's what I want to do. I want to have the weapons that <laughs> bleed them to death. Uh, and I went with uh, a Wicked Bleed build for my first run through. And now I'm doing like a faith-based incantations focus, kind of exactly like you were. it's was like, I was going in and I'm all aggro on my swords and stuff. And now it's like, stand back and cast weird prayers and see if it works. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's a very different experience, but it's uh, very fun. So you doing
1: the dragon cult and incantations or I, so I,
0: I just started. So, you know, I'm just I for my second right. playthrough with it. So I'm you know, I so I was doing the new game plus thing for a little while where I would go into new game plus and. Um, I, I was just really overpowered. <laughs> like that was the problem <laughs> is like, yes, I was just like in the beginning, it was virtually no challenge because you're just like, OK, I have access to almost all the weapons, almost all the spells uh i'm gonna be fine against anything um so it was fun because i was like wow i have all the incantations i'm casting all the crazy shouts and the lightnings and everything and then i was like yeah but i'm also unstoppable which is fun but (laughs) not entirely the point of the game so i i recently just said i'm gonna make a fresh character and just try it again with a fresh character so that's what I've done so I'm I'm back at the beginning like I don't have any of my stuff from before and it's 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 cool being back in that mode of like oh this is actually hard I forgot that this game (laughs) this game can be hard especially in the beginning as I'm like "Uh, I have no armor I'm running around with my little sword and my I'm throwing fireballs best I can uh and it's super super fun so that's super
1: fun I might I might do that
0: It's cool! Like, I mean, it is no doubt super fun to have all the stuff and be like, yeah, I'm gonna max out another weapon and try this build out and be amazing. It's, I mean, going around and just wrecking fools with that is very fun, but then, like, I don't do, I'm not interested in, like, the PvP stuff, so I'm not interested in, like, coming up with builds that, like, and then, like, my gameplay in the future isn't gonna be about going and invading people. My gameplay is just gonna be keep playing this game and I think it'll keep, I'll keep I'll maintain my interest in it if I am truly kind of doing that starting from scratch thing, where it's like, okay, yeah. try it again, but with this idea, it, like this concept of a build in mind. Can you can you can you pull this off uh, without any of your stuff? It's it's cool. So uh, you've
1: inspired me there.
0: You, you, the, the, instead of doing my new game plus plus,
1: right. I feel like new game the the blast in new game plus was. When I first played the game, people haven't played it yet. The game starts you off. By the way, the game starts you off and you're in this cave. Well, you start off, then you get killed. That's how you're supposed to progress. Right. Which was surprising to me, having never played in these games before. Right. But now I realize <laughs> it's just a standard pattern. And then you get dropped in this cave and there's a weird, scary looking dude on a chair who's like, jump into this pit. Right. And, I'm like, and there's a nice door that leaves the cave. I was like. I'm not going to jump into that pit right so I leave of course the pit is where the entire game tutorial is <laughs> exactly. and then um and then you walk out you walk out of the then you walk out of the uh, of, of this uh, this door you go up this elevator and then you like see this beautiful open world, and there's this enemy just just right outside that door who's on this this giant golden knight on an enormous horse, and I'm like, okay, cool, I guess that's the first enemy I'm supposed to fight. <laughs> Then I spent the first hour of my experience in Elden Ring being like, "Why is this so hard? Just this guy, you this hit him. Can't and be health bar de- decreases by two on-screen pixels. Like, How am I going to do this?" And and then someone was like, "Oh, you you just the game is trying to teach you that you don't need to fight every enemy." I was like, mm. "Oh, okay, cool. I'm gonna keep going." So then you know, 100 hours later, I get to New Game Plus, and I've got my like double plus 10 great swords right. and the best armor in the game, and I'm like. You, I you. remember you.
0: <laughs>
1: Revenge is sweet,
0: it feels very good going back and just annihilating that. Uh, that <laughs> damn enemy you, movie.
1: tree sentinel, right?
0: Uh, well, all right, the Elden Ring is awesome too, so go play Elden Ring if you haven't played it. Um. Uh, but more importantly, make sure that you are checking out the zone, uh, and Raf, what are, um, I know we've got the link up on the screen, but like, where can people find you or The Zone uh, if they're if they're listening in and they just wanna like type some stuff in real quick?
1: The best thing is go to thezonerpg.com. Uh, it's got links to everything. Uh, it's got links to, like other other games I've made and find all my social media stuff there. And then, yeah, I'm, I'm Raf D'Amico on Twitter. Um, come, come say hi.
0: Um, heck yeah, that's awesome. Um, well, everybody, thank you so much for watching or listening to uh, Coffee Break. This has been uh, a blast. I, I I mean, just I have this image still up on the screen of the, the deck with the glow sticks and everything, and I cannot wait to throw myself into the zone and die and mutate and all the other weird things that will happen to me. Uh, so do make sure you keep an eye out for that. Next week, we'll be back. Uh, I'm hanging out with uh, another local Chicago uh, designer, Logan Dean. Uh, I'm very excited to sit down with Logan. Uh, you may know him from making uh, the company. Uh, so we'll, we'll be hanging out. I don't know, probably talking about our favorite Chicago stuff and then maybe weird corporate horror uh, games on top of that. So have a wonderful rest of your Sunday, everybody. Uh, great morning, afternoon, evening, wherever it is you are. And we'll see you next week. Thanks for having me on, Spencer. Of course. Bye, everybody.